Thank you, uh, Jordan. Before I start, I need to mention, um, I think I've done this before, but in preparing sermons and messages, every one of us who preaches needs lots of help. Of course, our primary help comes from the Lord, but as I can look back over my life and and one or two others here can, we can thank you for our Bible college and seminary training that we have had, and uh, it kind of gives us a big launch, but there's more helps than that. And I think I've said before that when it comes to preparing a sermon, I um, milk many cows, but I churn my own butter. What I mean by that is, both at college and seminary, etc., you only learn enough of the original languages to be dangerous. Dangerous in the sense that you can't rely on your own learning to be fully accurate, otherwise you'll get it all wrong, and so you go to the Greek lexicons and the Hebrew lexicons and, and so forth and, um, and commentators. And, um, and so I'm very thankful for all the helps that I do turn to in order to prepare a sermon. But there's one new cow of recent days that I have milked in preparation or one of them in my sermon. And, and that's a Bible program called the Bible Discovery Program. Now, we've got a guy here today. If you'd stand up, Simmel, please. Okay, this, this, this name's Simmel. And he's here promoting, he's from America, and we won't hold that against him. Um, he's here promoting, as he's been here before, the Bible Discovery Program. It's a program that you can load down on your computer. And I believe you're offering it free, right? Yeah, I've already got it. It's a thousand American dollar program, and I loaded it down, and I made, and I had to make a comment about it and send it back to the headquarters via email. And upon that, I received the key where I down I uploaded or downloaded. Not too sure what you use on my computer. And actually, I have been impressed. It's I've got another program. I've got an accordance Bible program. I've got Bible works and uh, et cetera, et cetera, and scores of commentaries, as you see. But, but this program, I must say, was very f- user-friendly. You can have whatever text. You can have your text, good text on your side in English, and you can pull up in English and your Greek word under it, and it passes all the verbs, and it can give you a good meaning. And, and I, I would recommend it for anyone here who wants to seriously study the Scriptures. And you all should be serious about looking at the Scriptures, right? And so what I want to say is, if you are interested in this Bible discovery program, go and see Sunil after the service. And he will take your name, etc., etc., and he will put you in the right path. And so thank you, Sunil, for giving me another cow that I can milk in preparation for my sermons. Okay, today we're going to turn to uh, the book of 2 John. We're going to continue in our snapshot series of the New Testament, as I've called it, and look at the Apostle John's second letter. Let us read or follow on as I read that. I'm reading from, as I always do, the NASB version. And if you haven't got a Bible, shame on you. Please go and get one. There's one for free. Who hasn't got a Bible? I know you're going to be too shameful to stick your hand up. Okay, well, um, there you are. Wendy, praise the Lord. If you haven't got a Bible, go and grab that Ryrie Study Bible over there, right at the end of the table. See, it's sticking up, and you can follow that, and please take it, and it can be yours, Wendy. Okay? 
Okay. Well, if you haven't got one and you don't want to follow, please listen carefully. Verse 1, 2 John. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we receive commandment to do from the Father. Verse 5. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is a commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Verse 8, watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, and the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. May the Lord add a blessing to his word this morning. As you know, the Apostle John wrote a good hunk of the New Testament scriptures. He wrote his own gospel, of course, the gospel of John, and, and he, he wrote the book of Revelation, that uh, Steve is taking us through, and of course, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so although the 2nd and 3rd letters are the shortest in the New Testament, these two letters are not short on content. Both these 2nd and 3rd letters deal with the fundamental need of, of love and truth going hand in hand, as our title of our sermon uh, puts it. Love and truth go hand in hand amongst the Lord's people. And also both these letters, the second and third, address the same historical problem as John's first epistle does. And that is the one of false teachers invading local churches and distorting the truth of God. That was the fundamental problem of the day. And so this constant theme should instill in us, even today, the need to be committed to the truth, as we have revealed in the Scriptures. Because why? Because this, we live in the realm and the sphere of Satan. Because as we know, Satan is the God, little g, of this world. And he is, the Scriptures tell us in John 8, 44, he is described there and told us there that he is the father of lies. 
and he's set on distorting the truth for believers, and he's busy all the time blinding the eyes of unbelievers so that he may keep them from understanding the gospel. And so in this battlefield, the church is also called to be what? As we have read in recent months and understood, we are called, the church, local churches are called to be a pillar and support of truth. We see that in 1 Timothy 3.15. And if we fail in being good stewards of God's given truth in his word, we are lining ourselves up for spiritual disaster or shipwreck and also the judgment of God. Now, toward the end of the first century, when John was the only remaining member of that mighty apostolic band, increasing numbers of false teachers were on the hunt. They were on the hunt as to where they might gain a a listening ear and more so a following Obviously, they were trying to copycat the rabbis. You know, the rabbis had followings. That's why Jesus sometimes was referred to as a rabbi, because he had a following. And so even today, you have rabbis in Judaism who will have a following. And people follow after their particular rabbi. Well, this is what these false teachers were copycatting in that day. And as they roamed the country, they went from place to place, and sadly, from home to home, to distort God's truth. And it was so often in these homes that godly hospitality was abused as these false teachers took advantage and seductively offloaded their destructive heresies. You see, these false teachers, they targeted homes because they saw it as the most vulnerable and the easiest targets to sow the seed of heresy and false teaching. But this kind of home invasion, can we call it, was not new, even on that day, right? Remember, Paul wrote to Titus, and we see that Titus had the same problem in Crete. Titus 1, 10 to 11 tells us that. And also Timothy, he had the same problem in Ephesus. Paul wrote and reminded Timothy about this in 2 Timothy 3.6. And really, nothing has changed down the millenniums. Today we have internet bloggers, TV evangelists, and books by the millions that come right into our homes. And our homes are extremely porous to the invasion of false teaching, like never before. And sad to say, it is true, folks, as goes the home, so goes the church. And that is exactly why the family is an important target in Satan's war against God's revealed truth, as in the Scriptures. It's not new to Satan either. You know, he began this deal of his. Remember, we entered the Garden of Eden. He went into the first home, and he says, Hath God said, Surely you will not die? He sowed the seeds of doubt and tried to distort the truth of God in a home. He will do whatever it takes to attack the veracity of God's truth. And he, he, folks, he loves to attack the home 
Why? Because that soon makes its mark in the church. And so it is true, spiritually healthy homes make for spiritually healthy churches. And John's second letter addresses a godly home. A godly home that is vulnerable to this subtle attack from Satan via his false teacher agents. It may have been that this woman of God, in her hospitable enthusiasm, was an open target for these hucksters of false truth. That may have been the case. Or it may have been that this dear woman was already, and it had come to the Apostle John's ears, it may have been that this dear woman was already calling to question certain aspects of the gospel as seeds of doubt had been sown in her mind by these false teachers. Well, whatever the case, John writes this letter. He writes this letter to guard the truth. He does this because, simply this, it's God's truth that has been attacked. And it doesn't take a scholarly exegete. You can even see for yourself this morning that love and truth is John's primary focus here in this second epistle. Love is mentioned four times in verses 1 to 6 and truth is mentioned five times in the first four verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. It's also interesting that while John addresses a single lady in the home, in third John we will see God willing later on that he addresses a single man in the church. So in this context, what John is emphasizing here is Love and truth to a single lady in the home with the children. But let's back up a bit and start from the beginning so we can be structured here as our minds are settled on what the Spirit of God is saying through his word. And the first point I want to highlight that we can see in verse 1 is the uniting power of truth. The uniting power of truth. And so a good question to ask here is, who is this lady, this elect or chosen lady and her children, as we see in the first verse? Who is she? Some would even say, who is it? Because they see this elect lady as being symbolic of the church. So is it a symbolic of the church or an actual lady lady and her children? Um, And those who interpret this as as being symbolic of the church, they simply do so because this lady is given no other name other than being the chosen lady or the elect lady, as you see in the verse 1 there. It is true that this word elect or chosen is often given as a description of the church, plural. But I believe here that it is used in a singular manner in relation to a literal lady. Because if we go, here's something you can think of, if you go right down to the verse 13, you will see, if we, and if we go to the, with the church idea that it's symbolic of the church, we would have to say that the chosen sister in verse 13 is also a church, rather than being a literal woman, woman and her children, like the text clearly states. It is true that the plural is used in verse 6, and also in verse 8, And if anyone comes to you, it's also used in verse 10 and 12. 
But the singular is also used in relation to this lady when it's referred to in verse 1 and verses 4 to 5 and also verse 13. So the, the, the plural and the singular. It may have been that this, the church met in this lady's home. That may be what happened there, in this elect lady's home. That may have been the case. And so in writing this letter, John may have had the idea of um, writing to this lady and her children as well as the local church in mind. That may have been the case. But when it all boils down, the main thrust of this passage is not lost if we interpret who this lady is either way. Okay? It's not lost. But the fact remains, when John used the word chosen or elect, to describe this lady and her sister in verse 13, and here in verse 1, the lady concerned, it sweetly reminds us of the sovereign grace of God choosing whom he will to be his eternal children. I love that. Now, some of us may shy away from this elect word or elect term, but the New Testament writers don't, do they? They show no hesitation in referring to Believers as the elect. Matter of fact, it's no less appropriate than the more familiar child of God, born again or saved and delivered, etc. But when we come to the word of elect, what that does, it highlights the distinct aspect of God's sovereign, gracious choice in our salvation, as we have John 15 and 16 and verse 19. And here we see that God has chosen this lady. He chooses every believer, folks, one person at a time from eternity past, as we see in Ephesians 1.4. John was concerned that this godly woman would not permit anything false to come into her home or into the local assembly. That's what he was concerned about. But it's also interesting to see how John calls himself the elder. You see that? The elder. What's he on about here? Now, being an old man, which John was at this time, he was getting on in years, you know. He may have used his age to have some clout in speaking to this lady. We get like that when we're old. He may have done that. But we see the definite article is put before elder. He doesn't say, I'm an elder, as an elder. He says, the elder. That's a definite article. That's what we call a definite article. And so it's clear that this term is all about his position as a spiritual elder. It's the word presbyteros, which means elder. Same word for bishop, for overseer. And so it's used to highlight a position of authority rather than age here. So in using this title, John reminds this chosen lady that he was in contrast to the false teachers. He was a steward and a mediator of the apostolic tradition. He was the real McCoy. What he said was truth because he spoke from God. And then he makes this profound statement concerning this elect lady and her children. He says, whom I love in truth. You see that? So what's John on about here? 
Is he just mouthing off a greeting right at the beginning of this letter that has no real substance? You know, like we'd write a letter, dear such and such, I hope all things are going well, blah, blah, before we get to the real meat of the matter. No, no, that wasn't, this is not what John was doing here. Under the inspiration of God, he calls out the select lady and reminds her and her children whom I love in truth. You see, when John says he loves in truth, this is the love that is governed and bound by truth itself. This love is not some familial, emotional love that comes and goes when it suits the lover. We all know about that, right? This is agape love. That's the Greek word for this word love here. This is a divine love that has no bounds bar the truth of God as revealed in Scripture. And if you want to read what that love really looks like, you've got to go to 1 Corinthians 13 and read that in your own time. The statement here condenses the theme of this entire letter. It is the truth of Scripture that governs and dictates the exercise or the practice of our love. That's how it should be and is meant to be. And it was in the sphere of God's truth that bound John and all those who know the truth, because that's what he says, and all those who know the truth, to love other saints and the sister and her children in the Lord. In other words, John loved this elect lady and her children. How? According to God's truth. You see, folks, the deep mutual love we have for one another, it must be real, it must be fervent, it must abound and grow and deepen. It's never and should not be secret and invisible and kind of distant. Never should it be like that. But this uniting, bonding love must be controlled by the Word of God. This love is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a uniting love that flows from hearts of those who are, what? Are committed to the truth. Now later on, John is going to insist that this lady's love be controlled by the Word of God in relation to those deceivers who were going to knock or have been knocking on her door. In other words, John will be saying to her, and he says to us today, allow this agape love to sort out the true from the false even. Allow this agape love to receive some and to shun others. To love and truth will discern those committed to the Lord those who are the elect of God and those who are not and those who are still outside of Christ. This uniting love governed by truth will tell us in no uncertain terms what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. 2 Corinthians 6.14 God's truth will tell us how to love our neighbour. It'll tell us how to love the unsaved. And we are to love the unsaved, right? But God's truth will tell us how to do that. It'll tell us how to love our spouses. It'll tell us how to love our children and our families and every other relationship that we might have. And they'll all be different. That God's truth is specific on how to fervently and especially love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
In other words, to love and truth as John and all those who know the truth do here in our text is to be united together by that common bond that begins at salvation. There is a bond that unites us together. And for anyone to be saved, to be loved of God, to be united to him through Jesus Christ is first what? Is first to obey and commit to the truth as God has spoken to us in his word. Millions try to win God's love by some other way. They have a false idea of God's love. They seem to think that God loves everyone everywhere the same. No, he doesn't. We've already heard this morning that he is angry with the wicked every day. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? That's where the journey begins, folks. Love and truth go hand in hand. We cannot promote or enjoy the unity that God intends for us to have at the exclusion of his truth. Whether it be in our marriage, or whether it be with our families, or or other believers, or even with unbelievers, we cannot make it up as we go along of ourselves of how we are to love one another. No. We're to love according to the truth. So many today ignore or minimize God's truth. And Satan loves, loves us when we do that. And when we have this loose idea that uh, like God's love is only a loving God, at, at the exclusion, as we've heard this morning, at the exclusion of his wrath, preach that Jesus loves everyone, Jesus loves, Jesus loves, but never understanding that also Jesus hates sin. And there are many on the broad road that are going to hell eternally because of sin. They don't preach that. They don't tell that. They don't tell the whole story. Now that is excluding truth. They minimize it. But all in the name of love. It's futile, right? It's futile to abandon truth-based love as recorded in the scripture. Folks, we need to be oozing with truth-based love. Even a love for the lost will never, ever bring about God's purpose in their lives if we go soft and play down and minimize the whole truth of the gospel. We need to tell them the whole story. Love and truth go hand in hand. So let us be committed to the truth, for out of that agape love for one another, you know what will flow? Genuine love. Next we see John makes another profound statement in verse 2. And he continues his call to be committed to the truth. And he does this by writing this letter, why? Verse 2, for the sake of the truth. You see that there? For the sake of the truth. This is what his plea is based upon. It was not based on some superficial notion or some personal preference that he had or some human ideology that was going around. No, he was concerned that this dear lady, known for her generous hospitality, that she might not compromise the truth in her zealousness to exercise Christian love. That's what he was concerned about. And by the way, it is important that believers display Christian love, right? Absolutely important. 
We are to display hospitality and fellowship. That's a given. That's normal for believers. For a person to call himself a believer and not to be hospitable and not to show Christian love, etc., is an oxymoron. Such godly behavior and actions should flow from the heart that has been truly transformed by the gospel. It's not like turning over a new leaf, but our hearts have been transformed. So even if you were hateful and spiteful and selfish people before you were saved, the Lord transforms us so that we become hospitable and loving. That's how it is. And if it's not, you need to dig deep to see where you are with the Lord. Romans 12 verse 13 tells Christians there you to practice hospitality. 1 Timothy 3 2 has a real point here, especially to elders. Elders are especially to practice hospitality. But listen up, folks, in all the different scenarios of displaying Christian love, none of them can be isolated or removed from the truth. John writes here, for the sake of the truth, which is not only in written form, but you see something else here, but also, he says, abides in us and will be with us forever. You see that in verse 2? What he's meaning here is that when a person comes to Christ, we're indwelt by the Spirit of truth. That's what he's referred to, the Holy Spirit of truth. From the moment we're born again, John 14 and 17, he abides within us, never to be taken from us, never to be removed. And it is our responsibility as as God's spirit-born children to submit and to be led by the spirit of truth. Just as we yielded to the truth and come into Christ for salvation, we must continue living and loving in the truth because God's truth is what? It's now within us. It's who we are. It's with us forever. We are called to live out what God has placed within. I've got here, we become in life living truth statements. You see, folks, we love according to truth and for the sake of the truth. That is now in us and with us forever. And so we're asked to practice it. We're asked to let it flow based on the truth of God. Don't put a bushel over it and cover it up. We're to let it flow, to let it out. We let the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and the truth that now dwells within us, we let it shine. May it be our love for one another is based on the truth of God's word, which now eternally dwells within us. May it be displayed for God's glory. And we come to a third point, the promised blessing of truth. We see this in verse 3. You see, when Paul wrote to churches, this customary opening, this is when Paul wrote to churches, that is, it was a customary opener of his letters would be something like this, and I'll pull from 1 Corinthians 1.3, and there are other Uh, letters that he wrote with us he says grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ but when Paul the apostle wrote to individuals as he does in the pastoral epistles he begins with grace mercy and peace and this is exactly what John does here as he writes to an individual not primarily to a local church he opens with the same deal 
Now, this greeting, it's not a request to God for a blessing of grace and mercy and peace. No, it's not a request. This is more of an affirmation. He's speaking to this lady. He's addressing this elect lady. And he's affirming that this divine blessing belongs to her already. As it does for every child, true child of God. We have and enjoy the blessing of grace and mercy and peace. Grace in this greeting here is not the grace that brings salvation. Because this lady was already enjoying that, right? As we all do, every believer. This grace here is the everyday blessing of God's unmerited favor upon us. You see, folks, I've said this before. We have not only been saved by God's grace, but we are kept and sheltered and protected by his unmerited grace as well. We see that in John 10, 28 and and John 5 and 18. And it's this everyday grace, can I say, this grace blessing from God, which allows us still needy people, and we are needy because we saw that right at the beginning of our service. We need to come daily before the throne of grace. To what? To find mercy in times of need. Hebrews 4, 6. What a blessing to know that God has promised us ongoing mercy as we battle through the sinful world. So this grace blessing from God gives us ongoing mercy. And all this culminates in another great blessing indeed. It brings peace. It gives peace, right? This peace, just like grace and mercy, is not the peace with God that has made it salvation. It's not speaking about the peace that is made when, when we who were enemies of God are made as friends through understanding and believing and Jesus Christ reconciled us to him. This is not that peace. But this peace is a peace in life throughout all life's ups and downs. And we might say we all have heaps of those, right? Difficulties, trials, temptations, testings, stresses. We all have those. But for those who belong to them, we have a peace in all of that stuff that passes all understanding amidst any storm in life that unbelievers do not have. You got that? Unbelievers do not have that. In other words, folks, be anxious for nothing. That's a commandment from the Lord through the Apostle Paul. Be anxious for nothing. Why? Because God is in control. His promises are true. John spoke of this peace promise given uh, to Jesus, that Jesus gave to his followers in John 14, 27. This is what Jesus said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Let it not be fearful. Where does this divine blessing of grace, mercy, and peace come from? From God the Father, see in our text there? From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Please note the two uses of the word from there. They're important. Because what they emphasize is the equality of God and the equality with, the, with the Son, Jesus Christ. And no doubt Paul put this in under the inspiration of the Spirit of God because this is the very truth that the false teachers were attacking, the deity and the equality of the Father and the Son. 
God is the giver, and he never changes or shifts, and there's no variation. And he's the giver of every good thing and every perfect gift, James 1.17. You see, folks, God is the giver, and Jesus is the channel of every good and perfect gift. And so just as salvation was an act of God's grace and mercy and peace through Jesus Christ alone toward us, just as that happened in our lives for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, the ongoing everyday blessing of grace, mercy and peace originates with God and also flows to us through Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. Isn't that wonderful? Folks, I wonder if we really appreciate as we ought this ongoing divine blessing in our lives. So often we thank God for the blessing of salvation and rightly so, and so we should. But how often do we dwell and meditate and give thanks to God for his ongoing blessing of grace and mercy and peace? But you might say, but I don't really know or experience this ongoing grace, mercy and peace blessing as I would like to. The troubles that I'm in and the difficulties I'm in and the trials I'm in are all too heavy and they're consuming me. So I don't feel too much of that right now. So what am I missing? Matter of fact, that very question was asked to me yesterday. Where is the peace that I should be appreciating and, and, and dwelling on and, and knowing and, and basking in? My dear people, to know and experience this ongoing blessing in your life, it demands this, that you saturate your heart and mind in truth. In other words, your experience and joy of God's blessing will be like a tank that has run dry if divine truth doesn't dominate your heart and mind. Minimal truth in equals minimal experience and knowledge of ongoing divine blessing. That's why we must be people of the book. That's why I expect all those Bibles to be gone over there. Maybe you can take one and give to someone else that you know that needs a Bible. We need to be people of the book. We need to be in the Word. We need to be reading some portion of it every day. We need to be feeding our souls so that we can enjoy and grow and learn how God is caring for us. Even though you might be going through a difficult trial, as some of us, as you will all be looking at in First Peter, the trial. It may be even as some are called to die for their faith, and, and many as many have are martyrs for the faith. But you know, many of those martyrs, the words on their lips were looking and longing and basking in the, in the wonderful truth that God will take them home for eternal glory. What peace is that? Awesome, right? But if you don't know the truth, and if you're not in the truth, you'll never come to understand or appreciate that. You'll be consumed with everything that's going on around you. Let's turn to the let's go to the first the last portion here. The powerful persuasion of truth. We see this in verse four. You know, we can study and learn doctrine. I've learned heaps of it. As I mentioned before, you go to Bible college, you go to seminary, you learn doctrine, you read lead uh uh uh, theological text through and through. 
And, and learning doctrine is vital for the Christian living. Because if we don't know how to live God's way, and if you exclude doctrine and say, I don't want anything to do with doctrine, you'll be sorely lacking. We all need to know doctrine. But let me say this, by itself, doctrine is dry and cold and unattractive. You got that? I have seen, sadly, men who are far more scholarly and far more, can I say, academically wired and in tune with the doctrines of the Scripture than I am and probably ever will be and can give an answer for everything. But it's all by itself. Sadly, their lives don't reflect the reality and the truth of what they have learned. This is why truth must have legs on it, if I can put it like that. You see, folks, there is nothing like the winsome attraction of God's truth in action. Nothing like it. You just imagine if God says, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'll show mercy, I'll show mercy, I'll show mercy, I'll show truth and grace. And then did nothing. He said that. But there was legs on it, right? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for guilty, rotten sinners like you and I. He put legs on his truth. There is nothing like the emotional buzz, can I say, and the joy when we see God's truth being displayed, being put into practice in people's lives. That's why Jesus says, he just didn't say, I am the truth. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Truth and action, truth and love go hand in hand. And we see that in the example of Jesus Christ. Just as sorrow and sadness grips the heart when believers rebel and go cold against the truth of God's word, and they go, oh, well, that, that, that is so sad, and it grieves me, and it grieves the Spirit of God, and I know it will grieve you fellow believers when you see that. So just as that happened, joy fills the whole soul when we see truth being obeyed, right? Nothing better than that. When we see believers coming forward and say, look, I want to follow the Lord, I, I'm, I'm a true believer, and they, I want to get baptized to go public on that. Or, or, or they say, look, I'm a sinner, and, and, I, and I just want to tell you that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and, and I want to be one with you guys. There's nothing better than that. It fills the heart with joy. And this is what John sees in the lives of the children of the select lady. This is what he sees. We're not told how he came into contact with some of her children. But what he observed was enough for John to write home about. It was enough for John to write home about. Just think of the joy that this mother experienced when she heard this great news about her children from John. Your mothers will really appreciate this. What better recompense could she have ever hoped for 
for all the years of faithfully sowing the good seed, for all the nurturing that she had done in the lives of her children. She had seen them saved. She had seen them come to to know the Lord and obey Him in baptism. She had seen them go on and receive them to, to a fellowship of the assembly. And now, though having left the family nest and facing the world and all its tests and trials and temptations, they were still going on for the Lord. Nothing better than that, right? I'm sure there would have been many tears of joy when this dear lady read this letter. You see, folks, these dear children had been so gripped and powerfully persuaded by the truth, they were were found to be walking in that truth. That's how they were found, walking in their truth. In other words, they were steadfastly, consistently and obediently living their lives through the lenses of Scripture. They were not people who were hot for God one day and cold and and living loose and selfish lives the next. God's truth learned in the home so gripped them that that they now gripped that truth for themselves for living in a sinful world. How we need that. Culture to them was very real and it was present. It was all around them, just like culture is very real and present to us today, be whatever it may. But it never invaded their guidance system, can I call it. It never affected their biblical worldview. The truth was now and remained their guidance for living. It was first and foremost. It was their default mode when the fat hit the fan of their lives. They went to the scriptures. They remembered what what God has said. You see, their love of the truth saw them submitting willingly and obediently to the will and the commandments of God. That's what the love of the truth did. My dear people, especially you parents and hope to be parents here this morning, What a privilege, yet what a responsibility you have toward your children who are gifts from God. Are you going to rear them for the world and its temporary pleasures? Or are you going to raise them for the next world where eternal righteousness dwells? What's it going to be? May we set before our children a godly example as we live out and teach them love and truth. Why? Because it's only God's truth that unites us and indwells us and brings divine blessing and powerfully persuades us to obey God's command. Love and truth go hand in hand. May God bless his word together uh, for us this, this morning. I want to close just with a benediction. And um, I'll just get you to stand for this as we read the Word of God, or as I read it to you. And just listen carefully to these words. This is what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself 
and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. And may the Lord bless his word together. Amen. Thank you.